0: One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want trapping. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? They would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money handling fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. we got two deferred ones, this is Northern Michigan, this is what you do Represent game Trafford in a positive way I'm going to ask you guys a question Do you know everything? This what to be fun I'm Trying to learn something from these legends Ask questions without asking questions Volume, the perfect game magazine Instructions from Perry go on. Perk Lennon's articles of Perk Lennon. Add to for nice trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To I me mean, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a developer system yet? Because so working ahead of time to build big traffic. If you got variables, the same with characters you've got you moth he started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part country in the world. I don't know. get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders, The back of that beaver looks like a It's sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, yeah, it was better. Back in the first shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you here as always. Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Kotz Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Go to Kotz Bros for all your trapping supply needs. They've got what you need to get started on the trap line. An excellent selection of baits and lures and traps and trap parts and all the different components and everything that you're going to need to get going regardless of what species you're going to trap. Go to Cots On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Excellent tool where you can mark your trap locations. You can run tracks and figure out where you went. Make sure you go back the right way next time. You can use the uh, aerial imagery to scout and look for areas to trap. Look for places nearby that, that look good, that look like places you want to check out, or avoid places that you don't want to check out and save a bunch of time, which I've I've done quite a bit in my Martin and Fisher trapping. Um, For instance, you're on a a road system, you get a branch road that goes off to the side and you're trying to decide if you should go up there and look for a place to set traps and uh, I'll open up Onyx and look at the aerial imagery and if I see there's a couple of massive clear cuts there and there's not much forest and it looks like it's all mostly cut over, I'm going to skip that road. And uh, if I see another area that looks like there's some dark timber and it looks pretty good and, and uh, maybe I see a stream, maybe there's a f- interesting feature on the land uh, that shows up in that imagery, I'll use that and decide to go there and check it out on the ground. So onxmaps.com, uh, use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, uh, for your first purchase at onxmaps.com to get 20% off when you check out. And we're brought to you by Trapping Today Store. Uh, get your trapping lures. It's uh, it, it's still uh, apparently trapping season most other places because I'm still shipping out lure regularly. And thanks for everybody who has uh, who has purchased trapping lures from Trapping Today Store. Also have books um, and some Trapping Today T-shirts. I think we have a few hats left. We got coffee mugs. So uh, check that out and uh, and. Uh, As always, appreciate your uh, business. Okay, tonight's episode, uh, this is going to be a pretty short one. I've been going back and forth on trying to figure out whether I want to do uh, one big long episode or uh, a short one and a long one. Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff in the hopper. The pipeline is a bit backed up, so I uh, I just have had a little bit of extra time to do some, some phone calls and I... And dig through emails and everything, and so I've I've got some material for I don't know I've, I guess counting tonight I've got four episodes that I probably could release this week, but I'm gonna try to spread them out a little bit. So I'm tonight I'm just gonna do a question and answer episode to try to catch up on a few of the pertinent questions that I I've gotten a lot of questions and and. If you have questions or comments or feedback or whatever, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. And uh, if it's a short answer, quick and easy, I usually answer answer it when I can ha- have the opportunity to. But some of them are just too long, and I, I just uh, can't spend the time writing up a whole, you know, three or four paragraphs on, uh, on answering questions. So some of them I just... Uh, set them aside in a folder in my email and I uh, try to c- come back and, and answer them um, something like this in the podcast because th- I, I feel like, it, number one, it's it's more efficient. Number two, I can give you a better answer uh, just by talking into this microphone than I can by trying to, to, uh, to write things up. And number three... It's possible there's other people on here that are listening that are interested in this, these answers and, and can learn from them or uh, it can kind of get them thinking a little bit. And and as always, uh, trapping is one of those things. The more you think about it, the more you think about the little details, the more interesting and stimulating it can be. And uh, the more you tend to learn, even if the answer isn't the one you, necessarily the one you're looking for. So uh, we'll get into these question and answer. I just have three of them I'm going to do in this episode and uh, before we get into that I do have kind of kind of an announcement I guess I'm not it's a pre-announcement I'm not quite ready to announce I don't think I'm quite ready to announce it just yet because it's it's still in the works but um, I have a project that I am have started to work on and I'm pretty excited about it I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be really cool I am there's a chance that i I cannot make it happen. Uh, however, uh, just because of some the technical difficulty of actually getting it done, and I'm getting a little bit older, and I'm finding, guess what? I don't learn things as fast as I used to. It takes a little bit more uh, to to try and uh, to try and learn new programs and new ways of doing things and, and uh, creating things on in front of the computer here different software and different programs and stuff so it it is it's a little challenging however I mean it's never been easier to learn in terms of the all the tools are there all er, there's answers and guidelines everywhere for you to find you just have to uh, play with things and try to learn and read read through the stuff and then figure out which questions to ask and which things to search and then then try to uh, understand the explanations and then go through and do the things yourself and and try to retain and remember them. The re- retention part is what's <laughs> been challenging for me. So I've got a bunch of little sticky notes when I learn to do something on this program I'm working with. Uh, I've been writing it down on these sticky notes and, and trying to, uh, trying to hopefully help it sink in a little more so the next time I want to do it two days from now or whenever, uh, I don't have already forgotten how to do it so I hope that uh, I'm going to be able to to learn this and become proficient enough to create the product and I d- I've done this is a little different um, but I you know I've done books and I've, I've edited I edited all the books that I've published uh, myself and I I had that was a learning process uh, and, and I was able to do it so it's all doable um, but this is a lot more complex. <laughs> so so uh, with that said, I, I have a cool project I'm working on. I'm excited about it. There's probably an 85% chance it's going to get done. Uh, because despite having being very time consuming and that being a challenge for me at times. And despite it being very technically challenging. And despite the fact that uh, financially it might not work out. I am just super, super excited about this. Um, I, I just, the more I get into it, the more psyched up I am about it. It's uh, it's something that I think I should have done uh, at least five years ago. So, I am going to work on it and I will keep you updated on how things progress. But, as a, a part of that, I have a request for you guys. And uh, there's I have kind of a couple of different things. I... The first thing is pictures from your trap line. And some of you have started to send pictures in this season. I would love to see more pictures. And uh, I will, if if you send pictures, I, I will request if if it does look like it's something that's going to work for this project. I will ask you uh, beforehand uh, for permission if you if you don't mind me sharing those pictures Um with a wider audience in the trapping community. And uh, if you don't, they may be part of this project. So send pictures of your catches, send pictures of of you on the trap line um, and uh, and maybe the country that you trap in, that sort of thing. I think that'd be awesome. So uh, send me those pictures, jrodwood at gmail.com, j-r-o-d-w-o-o-d at gmail.com. And uh, the second thing, is, uh, well, I guess maybe there might be three things. Um, if you have any tips, tricks, techniques that you have, you think are you know pretty unique that, that you've learned in trapping and you want to share with people, send those to me as well. That would be great. It can be something very simple. It can be a little more complex, however you want to do it. That, that would be excellent. Um, but the the biggest thing that i'm i'm looking for and I'll ask for those more in the future I think if this all pans out but the biggest thing that I'm looking for right now is uh, w- w- what I'm working on is a lot of it's going to kind of focus on more of the uh, the modern trapper uh, guys and gals that are are sort of in the situation that I am where you know there's no there's no fur market these days where you can make a full-time living trapping. We all have, all of us younger people, have full-time jobs elsewhere. We're, a lot of us are raising families. A lot of us have younger kids. Uh, and the the greatest, by far the greatest challenge that you guys have, and I know this because when I did a listener survey a couple years back, it was far and away the greatest challenge that, that you all had was was finding the time and managing properly managing time to uh, to get out trapping and, and to make the trap line work. And so so time management is our biggest challenge uh, as a group. And what I would love to know is how you have found ways to uh, to work around that or, or to deal with your time management challenges as it relates to trapping. So what are the, some of the things that that you've done or you do to save time on the trap line or to make more time? What are the things that you have maybe have cut out of your life that used to take more time and now you're spending that extra time during trapping season out there setting traps and checking traps? Uh, are there are there certain um, things that you use? Are there, uh, I don't know, is, is there is there something uh, soft, some software, something mechanical, something is you know uh, logistical in your life. Maybe, uh, for instance, some some people have trapping areas set up close to work because they they find that they can uh, check traps before and after work, and they can do that more efficiently because they don't have to drive way out of the way. They're they're already there um, as part of their commute. So things like that. what, what is it that you've done? To, uh, to try and deal with this time management challenge. And please send me those by email. I would very much appreciate that. And uh, I, that's all I'm going to talk about with that for now. Send me your pictures. Send me your time management tips and ideas. And uh, I, I will, as things progress, I will let you know more about this new project. And uh, and I'm pumped, guys. I'm, I really am. I haven't been this excited about a project in, in quite a while. So, I was this winter. I was kind of bummed out. I was trying to figure out. You know, I didn't really have a project that that I had underway, and I have a couple of book ideas, but I just really didn't have the the research, and or the groundwork laid out to be able to get those done this winter. Uh, without you know making some major changes to everything else. So, uh, this project I is something that I think. I I think I can do and I'm really excited about it so uh, more to come on that okay let's do some question and answer first one is Connor from Ontario new to trapping recently decided to get into it I love love hearing from people who are just just getting into trapping it's really cool Uh, Connor has uh, has a bunch of farm ground and marshes and and places to trap Um, But he's looking for some advice. He says, uh, I was hoping if you had time, if you could offer some advice to me. I've got roughly 30 acres of bush with two separate seasonal drainage creeks that run through them. I see muskrat slash beaver slash mink sign every year while deer hunting. Not sure exactly which it is. I have seen one live muskrat in the creek since we've lived here. I also recently found a few dugout spots on the creek bank that I believe are dens. There's no extra structure built on top of them, just a den dug out beneath the roots of some maples and ash along the creek bank. I was thinking these dens would be a good spot to set traps. There's also two separate culverts, one man-made bridge, all of which I think would be a pinch point. If you have any insight on what I should be looking for, how to lay out my trap line, I'd love to hear it. Really appreciate all the content you produce, thank you. Well, thank you, Connor. And uh, I'm going to try my best to give you just a few pieces of advice or my thoughts. Without seeing pictures of this ground or, or seeing this type of ground, it's really hard to speculate. But you've done a you've done a really good job describing it. Uh, minus minus having without having any visual, this was a pretty good description. So, I it, you are you asked about the first thing was um, you're seeing sign, but you're not sure whether it's. Uh, Beaver, muskrat, or mink. Um, you have seen the one muskrat, so that's a pretty obvious sign there that you've got muskrats in that area, which is which is good. Um, and what that typically means is is it's not you're not talking about a really high gradient stream necessarily. You're probably pretty low gradient, and you're it's marshy. Probably some cattails. Uh, typically where you, where you see muskrats is areas where you have cattails or other marshy vegetation. Um, and, and so let, let's first talk about, let, let's let's split things out in terms of, of whether you're seeing muskrat beaver or mink sign. First off, um, I'm going to put beaver on one end of the spectrum and mink on the other end in terms of sign. Beaver is going to show you the most amount of sign and mink is going to show you the least that just as a result of their habits, you know, the beaver, a beaver sets up in a spot creates a dam or builds a bank den uh builds a house builds a feed pile cuts a bunch of trees down all around the place if there's any trees there and sets up shop and stays there a mink is in a beaver is big and beavers are typically going to stay in an area in family groups that are gonna depending on the time of year and depending on the group is going to be sometimes you'll have a single beaver but it's going to be typically anywhere from a pair to as as much as eight or ten beavers, and uh, an average is probably gonna be five or six in in a, a beaver colony. So if you've got if you're just seeing a little tiny bit of beaver sign, that's not gonna be a good spot to to trap beaver, except maybe in the spring when you know they're moving really long distances. But for the most part, if you got a beaver sign in your area and they're close by and they're spending time there, you're gonna know it. So they're they're going to probably have a dam. Unless you're on a big river, then then they're typically going to be a bank beaver. But they're going to have a house that's going to be very visible. It's going to be capped with sticks and mud. And they're going to have all kinds of trails going up into the woods to cut down trees. And you're going to have all kinds of trees that have been been snipped off, uh, it looks like, look like someone maybe took an axe to him or took a pair of snippers to him, depending on the size of of the vegetation and the trees. Uh, They're going to be cutting off stuff anywhere from the size of maybe your little finger all the way up to um, massive, massive trees that you can't even imagine why they'd want to cut down. (laughs) So so that's going to be beaver. It's going to be pretty obvious. You're going to see trails moving from the water to the land that are going to be really visible. They're going to be slicked slicked off and muddy down near the water. um, That's going to be clear. Um, Mink are typically pretty solitary. They move long distances. They cover large amounts of ground to find food. Uh, That obviously varies depending on how uh, abundant the food source is in a particular area. But for the most part, mink densities are going to be quite low. And they're going to be on the move. And they don't tend to leave a lot of sign. So with mink you're going to see probably uh, you're going to see a set of of tracks in the mud along the water's edge and you might see occasional droppings. If you're if you're seeing mink sign you're you're not going to see a whole bunch of it. However, what you're going to find is you're going to see sign that's probably made by other animals that mink are, are trails and stuff that mink are using. Now, let's talk about muskrat. Muskrat are going to leave a fair amount of sign, but it's going to be different type of sign than a beaver is going to leave. So a muskrat is going to uh, feed on smaller vegetation. They're mainly feeding on roots from uh, cattails. Or uh, there's a, a bunch of other um, like a bunch of other aquatic vegetation that they're gonna feed they're gonna eat on the roots of, and so what you're gonna look for with muskrat is uh, exposed roots that are like floating um, and like uh, pieces of root. It's it's gonna be all different sizes, but they're gonna be not too long and they're gonna be white uh, or light, really light colored and. They'll be typically floating on the water or kind of on the edge of the water, um, on the edge of the, between the water and the land. So that's going to be one piece of muskrat sign. the The easiest muskrat sign is going to be their droppings, and their droppings are going to be on the edge of the water, over land, in areas where they have cover, overhead cover. And that's going to be a key for you when you talk about pinch points and and ways places to look uh, to set your traps because. A muskrat is always looking uh, at threats from above Uh, birds are a really big predator on muskrats and so if they don't have cover they're not going to survive and so if you go into uh, an area and you kind of walk along the bank of a stream and you find sort of a, a a low open area that that's right on the edge of the water and it's got a little bit of cover like whether it's brush or a tree a log or something sometimes it can be a bridge or the edge of a culvert an overhanging bank Uh, you just look in that stuff and look at the little look for little trails and and look for droppings if you see droppings boom you've got a muskrat spot and that's where you're going to want to identify those trails and set 110 body grips right in those trails um the only case there is in some cases you may not see muskrat droppings and they are still there and that would be when you get a lot of rain and like really heavy rains can just cause those droppings to disintegrate uh, over just a short period of time so uh so don't be completely discouraged but you can look for like a lot of times they'll have droppings on top of rocks and uh, you can you can look for sort of smeared droppings that have kind of fallen apart but they've smeared there's like a brown smear it's like it it's kind of sounds nasty but just brown smears on top of the rocks uh, that are are old muskrat droppings that kind of broke apart so uh so yeah that's it if if the droppings too you're gonna see just uh, look online for pictures of muskrat droppings they're they're pretty obvious uh, pretty distinct uh, from from mink so that they're gonna be like like uh, uh, they're gonna be sort of like oval cylinder type shape I I can't really describe it good but they're not gonna they're gonna be shorter and fatter than like mink mink dropping is gonna be a lot lot longer and uh, long and narrow so um, yeah that's that's what you're gonna look for um, for for beaver muskrat and mink so based on that information if you you look back through your sign uh, I think you'll get a much better idea what you're looking at now you you say you uh, I'm thinking you're you're mainly seeing muskrat sign um, dugout spots on the creek bank that you believe are dens now uh, n- and you say there's no structure on top of them so uh, if it's a small dugout spot like the width of maybe your clenched fist or the width of a, a body grip trap like five inches wide um, that's that's muskrat that's that's a muskrat den and if that goes back into the bank a ways um sometimes you can look at a distance and you say oh man there's a there's a hole in the bank there and it is very deceiving when you actually go up to the bank and you look in and you try to stick your hand in it's only like three or four inches deep and there's it's just kind of dark and shadowy and it looked like a den but it wasn't um and and uh, that happens a lot of times uh you can have erosion from high water in the springtime uh you can have uh Rocks that fall out of the bank when their bank is eroding, and then there's there leaves openings, and uh, you know, a number of different things that can can kind of cause that. So, um, make sure that they're going up, you know, at least a foot and they're probably going to go uh, two or three feet in to the bank. And uh, if, if those, if you can confirm that those are, are actual, you know, pretty long cavities, you're probably looking at some muskrat dens, look for some droppings to see if they're active, they're not always active. Um, but that's a perfect place to, to set a 110 body grip rate in front of that den. Um, that's a, almost a surefire way to, to set muskrat, set for muskrats. Um, if that doesn't work out, again, you look through, look for the, the rat sign, the tracks, the droppings, and then look around for little openings and trails on the edge of the water. Um, you need to kind of get down on the muskrat's level and look underneath the vegetation and... Uh, to see a lot of these trails or tunnels or whatever you want to call them places that they're walking through and uh, find a place where that's kind of neck down and they can't go around. Um, and they're walking in that trail and, and you can set there. Um, and then if depending on the type of water you have and the water depth and all that, you could get into, uh, some, some bottom edge type sets and some underwater sets, uh, colony traps there's a whole variety of things you can do there but i wouldn't get in. that's a little bit more advanced i wouldn't i wouldn't worry about that at this point um the culverts yes very good pinch points the bridge very good pinch point they provide cover Um, if you could find a flat spot with cover where they're traveling through say under that bridge or or along the edge of that the entrance or exit of the culvert those are great spots to set traps as well. And you can use some rocks or sticks or logs to kind of next neck an area down a little bit further if it's already an area that uh, muskrat or, or this is a great way to get, catch mink as well. Um, if they're already traveling through that culvert or under that bridge, uh, maybe make it a little easier to, to, uh, to funnel them into an area. Just remember that, that those animals are always going to be hugging the edge. Uh, they're, they're going to be hugging one edge, uh, one, one side or the other side. They're not going to be traveling right down the middle of the culvert in most cases. Um, the only situation they might be doing that is if the culvert's fully submerged in water and, uh, it, and, uh, th- it's quite small. So yeah, that's, um, and if they're, you know, if they're swimming on the bottom of, uh, a round culvert, they're probably going to be in the, tend to be in the middle of it. But, uh, other than that, um look for the edges, find trails, neck them down if you have to. I think you're going to catch some, you're going to catch some muskrats there and maybe even a mink. I I think there's a good chance of it. So, uh, I hope that helps you Connor and get out there and set some traps. Looking forward to hearing from you. Send me some pictures. Okay. This episode might be longer than I was planning on. These other two are going to, going to be probably be a little quicker. So, um, Mike from Wisconsin slash Florida, a beaver trapping question, dedicated listener, love your podcast, thank you Mike, appreciate it. I purchased a few lures, which I really like, yes, I'm glad, I appreciate that as well. Writing to you, hoping you can fill in a few blanks for me on some information I heard when you spoke with Billy Thompson. Um, I trap beavers in Wisconsin and, and am intrigued by Billy's methods. I know he likes TS-85s, but how does he fasten them? Drowning rigs? Long chains, water depth can be an issue in Wisconsin. Is the set a caster mound baited set? You made a, you make a reference to his setup being a little of both. Your interviews with Billy are my top favorites. He sounds like a nice guy. Really appreciate the advice. Keep up the great shows. Thank you, Mike. Billy is a nice guy and he's a good guy. He he really is. Um, I I have enjoyed getting to know him and uh, he's one heck of a trapper. So, um, let's see. Let's I. I in the past I would be much more nervous to share this information, but Billy is getting along in years and he's still trapping hard. But he doesn't mind sharing information. He's he's been he's really good about that. I mean, that whole culture of that his generation was never about sharing anything of their trapping secrets. And there's a few things that that you're probably not going to get out of Billy. Um, But I I'm. I'm hoping he's not gonna be uh, too upset with me giving a little bit of information. I don't think he will, and I'm I'm gonna try to be, uh, I'm gonna try to be somewhat broad, okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, but uh, I'm gonna give you some details. All right. Uh, yes, ts 85s are Billy's trap of of choice. Is pretty much all of what he uses for footholds. Billy Billy has been known to tell to say that if you if you don't like using footholds, you probably don't know how to use them properly. Um, he has figured it out. He has mastered the art of catching beaver with footholds. And it is a thing that a lot of newer trappers have a hard time with. I have not mastered it yet, even though I've seen uh, probably a hundred of Billy's sets. I, I have not yet mastered uh, being able to, to, uh, to duplicate it in every situation, you know, it's all situation dependent. It, it's, uh, it's so complex in what basically the, the complex part of it. I, I'll try to boil it down is, is where exactly you set that trap in, in reference to where your lure is or where your bait is or where your, your attraction or your pinch point is, um, uh, we're we're dealing with um, different water levels. We're dealing with water that's rising and falling very drastically on a daily basis. In many cases, uh, we are we're dealing with uh, current going certain ways, different uh, depth profiles, uh, different slopes of the bank. We're we're dealing with different. Types of uh, ground: mud versus rocks versus hard pack versus soft. Different, uh, different approaches. Different approach areas uh, in terms of what there is on the bank. Is it vegetated? Is it uh, a bunch of beaver activity there? Is is it barren? There's just so many different variables. Uh, for instance, one of the first things when I started started uh, running. Checking spring beaver traps, and I, I checked a, a bunch of Billy's sets with with his friend Jeff one day. Rode along with him, and and uh, one of the things that really got me was uh, when the waters just in the springtime just cranking through a culvert, and you're down on the the downstream end of the culvert of the road crossing. The water is just zooming through there fast, and it's coming out of that culvert, and then it it's. Uh, You've typically got a fire hose, like a big bowl that has been eroded over time when the culverts are undersized, which most of the old culverts that were put in 20 to 75 years ago are all undersized. And so they've caused all kinds of erosion at the the downstream end of the culvert. And there's this big pool. And that pool is like, you know, it can be three times the width of the stream. And you will have a big whirlpool there. And the water is going one way down through the culvert and then it's hitting the bank and it's coming backwards the opposite direction of the bank. And so, the, like if a beaver's traveling downstream, if it happens to go through the culvert, which a lot of times they don't, a lot of times they climb right up, go over the road and go back down. They, they do not want to go through those culverts a lot of times. Uh, other times they do. But um, if that beaver's shooting down through that culvert, it's not going to be able to go approach your set that's right below the culvert because it's going at such a velocity. It's not going to fight the, be able to fight the current to, to get back. So it's going to ride that current down toward the lower end of the pool and then hit the back eddy and then drift back. And so you've got to think about that in terms of where, where your scent is traveling, uh, what, what the wind direction is, uh, the water current that's carrying that beaver and when it's going to intercept your scent. And then when it's going to want to, uh, to tack over toward your, your spot on the bank. Uh, it's just, it's, it's incredible how it can be so simple and so complex at the same time. Trapping's just like that. So um, the, the and then the other thing with the, the footholds, uh, the location of the foothold itself is um, how off center do you want it? You know, beaver doesn't have a leg in the center of its chest. It's got one on each side. And so, uh, you're going to be off center from, from where the nose is going to approach to the set for sure. Um, but do you want that to be, which side do you want that to be on? How are you going to get the beaver to put that foot down? Uh, that is a trick that I won't, I won't share with right now. And I don't think, um, we got to save a little bit, uh, and which foot's going to go down. That's it. That is a thing. I don't know if anybody's figured that out. Uh, and then do you want a front foot or a back foot catch? And then, uh, your water level might drop six inches overnight. So uh, do you want to set, w- w- what Billy talks about a lot is a really good idea is uh, when the water is is coming down, set for a back foot catch, hind foot. Because if, if the water drops low enough that, if you have already set for a front foot catch and the water drops drastically overnight or the, or the couple of days in between checks, your traps out of the water and it's not catching. Uh, one of the things that Billy has said, and, and um, I've heard this from other people too, is uh, a beaver will almost never ever step on a trap on dry land when the water has come down. I'm I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, I don't I don't think they're they're trap shy. Uh, they'll go through a 330 a lot of cases outside of the water. We don't. We can't do that anyway here in Maine, but other people do it in other other states. Um, but they first that if that traps out of water, your chances are are almost none to, to catch that beaver in, in my opinion. Um, but if you had set that for a backfoot catch, and that water drops, um, your trap is still fit. It's still f- trapping for a front foot catch it's still available there underwater to catch a beaver in the front foot it's not going to be as high percentage set because you're going to have a longer approach to the actual bait or lure where they're coming out of the water so um, there, there's a and your your other your your guide sticks and all that stuff is is not going to be working the same way either but uh, regardless that that is uh, just one of those things that that goes into play so uh, but the question. <laughs> that Mike, it's a long way around the barn to answer your questions here. Um, uh, how do you, how does he fasten them? So, and and he asks about drowning rigs or long chains. So all all of his sets are on drowning rigs, and it's typically what he's doing. And you know, a lot of times what I've done is is you have your your drowning bag in the water, and then you have your your anchor point up on the bank where your trap is. And I, a lot of times I'll, I'll pound a stake into the bank, uh, and, and anchor my slide wire, the top end of my slide wire with that stake. But Billy, Billy is long lining and he's setting a lot of sets and he's like 73 years old. And I mean, it's a lot of pounding to, to do that at, at the majority of your sets. So what, what he typically does is he finds uh, a location along the shore along the bank near his set that has a, a tree or a shrub or something solid that he can wire to. And, and he's wiring to that. And he he tends to, to use a, a slide wire that is an actual wire as opposed to a cable. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, you know, cable can, tends to get kinked up all the time. Uh, I use cable. I prefer cable because... Uh, it is more rugged. I have more confidence in it. Uh, it's not going to break. And I don't catch too many beavers to where, you know, I always have plenty of uh, lengths of cable in the truck extra. And I've got a bench swager, and I, I make a bunch of it. It's pretty easy. And so I don't mind. I get it kinked up. I can throw another one on. Um, but he's he's rigged up with a lot of wire, um, I think mainly because it's cheaper. Um, but he's got, you know, a, a slide lock. That's on the end of his trap chain. That's run on that wire. The wire is, or cable, some case, sometimes he'll have cable too. Uh, that's that's wired to a tree up on the shore. And then the drowning bag is thrown into uh, the deepest water that he can find. And you're going to want to have uh, four four feet, I think, is a good level for drowning. Um If you, if you do a front foot catch, you can get by with less water and, and for you in Wisconsin with water depth being an issue, I would say you're going to want to try to try to go with a front foot catch, um, because, uh, it just doesn't take that much. There's not that much distance between a beaver's foot, uh, and, and his nose, and and it just doesn't take that much water to get the job done. But uh, if, if you're, you get a hind foot catch, um, which I think, I can't even remember, I, I, a lot of trappers prefer the hind foot catch. I think that's probably, I, w- I would have said before that it's 50-50, but there may be more that prefer the hind foot. But if you do a hind foot, you've got to have a lot of water. Um, and you're going to have cases occasionally where maybe you you don't have quite deep enough water and you do catch a hind foot. Um, and it, it's not, it. what I would recommend is if, if you're not confident and, and you're not going to go out there with a measuring stick either, and, and measure the water depth to make sure. You know, uh, if you have there's so many variables. Like if you have a lot of current, you can get by with less water. Um, if you have no current, then you're going to need more water. So things things to think about. Um, but it, you're you're probably going to make a, a mistake here and there, and you're going to have a beaver that's that's looking at you when you get there, and you got to shoot it. Um, that that happens even when you set it up perfectly uh, the slide wire could get hung up i mean the the objective as always is to uh, dispatch that beaver immediately have it dead underwater hiding out of sight of people and uh, and quick humane done uh, as in every situation but it doesn't always work that way so um, the, the just uh i would not set in a situation if you don't have confidence or if you've if you've learned after a couple of catches that a place like that is not going to effectively dispatch a beaver. Um, but yeah, so, and then finally, uh, I'm gonna talk about the, the drowning bag um, on the other end of the, the dr- slide wire, and then, because I have a, the next question, the last question here we're gonna answer has to do with that, so I'll talk about that later, um, just a minute. Um, but I'm gonna answer the rest of Mike's questions. Um, is the set a caster mound? Is it a baited set? Okay, so, so uh, what the set, the set that you're referring to. Now, like every trapper, you know he's using uh, a, a variety of different types of sets. But uh, what what you're referring to, what I had mentioned in the past on one of the podcast episodes about being a little kind of a hybrid between a caster mound. And a baited set and and basically it's it's a it's a set that has both the um, the appeal of the caster scent and the vision the, the, the smell the scent appeal and the visual appeal of food and so he's using uh, a caster based lure or uh, or an oil oil sack oil-based lure and which, by the way, works very effective. Um, I think just as effective as caster in some cases. And it's a good change up. So keep that in your back pocket. Um, I, I've been thinking about about putting a, a oil sack-based lure on the Trapping Today store just because I use it a lot on my trap line. And uh, it, it works great. And it'd be great to give you guys just uh, another... Another lure as a change up. But anyways, um, so so the, the lure is there. And then he's taking a stick of popple, aspen, green, cutting that at a length, of, I don't know, maybe a foot. And sharpen in one end and pounding that into the bank just above the lure and you could shave a little bit of the bark off there so it's a little bit white there and the beaver can see it and uh that that combination i mean you could go to that set and you you decide okay i'm gonna make a set here and and typically what what we're doing is uh grabbing a a bunch of mud and you're slopping it on the bank um you're sticking some caster lure like my birch river beaver lure um, which is caster and also has two other really Uh, ingredients that, that add uh, to that lure, but, um, and, and the beaver is attracted to that because another beaver has been there, and that works really, really good. Um, A couple of complications with that is, uh, one, a a beaver might not be that interested in caster. In my experience, in Maine at least, they go nuts over caster. It it just, it is such an attractant to beaver here. they, I think it must have something to do with how territorial beaver are, but they go beeline straight for any castor smell. And there there are very few beavers that will avoid castor or just ignore it. However, you are going to have a few that, that will do that, uh, that will just ignore it and they're more interested in a food-based attractant. And so what this does is it, it, it provides that uh, food-based attractant. And in addition to that, I I don't know, I haven't asked Billy this, but I I should. I I suspect, because of the type of trapping he's doing, he's trapping in the springtime and he's trapping road crossings because he's long lining, he's going long distances and hitting every crossing. So he's not scouting out beaver lodges and houses. You're seeing those. You know, you're seeing those as you go by. But in the springtime in northern Maine, the beavers are moving and they are going hitting every st- length of stream out there. They are moving. So they're going to find him at the road crossing rather than him walking several hundred yards out from the road to find the, the beaver house. So so he's at road crossings. And the common denominator in most of these road crossings is they are high velocity areas where the water's flowing fast. They are not marshy and swampy. They are not uh, backwatered by beavers. And so you don't have much mud. So you can't make uh, a caster mound, so so um, the you you get there and you've got a bunch of gravel and rocks, and uh, you try to make a caster mound with that. You could cobble together some vegetation and do something, but you're never gonna have a a good caster mound there. And even if you did, it might it wouldn't be very natural. And I don't I don't know if uh, I don't know how it would work, but. Uh, that, that may be one of the reasons, but regardless of why, I know it works. It works very effectively, and put that in your back pocket and hope that it, it'll give you some ideas uh, in, in your beaver trapping. And then finally, a uh, question from uh, a guy, I had his name, I apologize, I forgot. Uh, I've got your name written down somewhere. But anyway, um, a guy from Maine who is, uh, who is trapping, and uh his question I think he's yeah he's a new trapper yes okay um, and his question is uh, I, he says I've really enjoyed your YouTube videos and just started listening to your podcast quick question if you don't mind when trapping beaver with a ts85 on the end of your line and this is the stuff from the YouTube videos that I showed uh, it looks like you have a sandbag that you use to weight it down is it sand and roughly what weight are you looking for in order to have it it functioned properly. Thanks. All right. So, uh, excellent question. So this is goes back to the whole drowning rig setup, and uh, w- what what I'm gonna have there is th- it's basically those sand small sandbags, that they're like burlap, and they you can get them at like military supply stores. I've ordered a bunch of them on eBay. They're pretty cheap, and they they fold up real small. Um, when they're new and they don't take up much space and they're really easy to use. And uh, what I'm doing is I'm filling those with rocks. So basically the places that I'm trapping, uh, it it, it makes no sense to get out get a shovel and and dig up some, we don't have much sand to begin with, dig up sand or dirt or whatever. Um, Most of the places we're gonna have uh, rocks nearby that we can use. And throw those in the bag. There's a few places that I probably should bring a shovel, uh, because we we there are some places where you're short on rocks, but almost every case you're gonna have plenty of rocks nearby. And I fill that little bag up, and I've never actually weighed it, but I put as much rocks as I can get into it. And typically, uh, that son of a gun is gonna be, I would guess at least forty pounds, um, and maybe fifty pounds. Uh, so, so I fill it with rocks until I, I just need enough uh, uh, purchase on the end, on the top of the bag to wrap my uh, cable around, or if in Billy's case it might be a drowning a wire, um, and, and cinch it down on the bag. I, I use, you could wrap it around with wire, but I use, uh, I use a, a ferrule with a loop connector um, on the end of the cable, and I just open up that loop. I slide it over the top of the bag and I cinch it down tight and it grabs that bag and it tightens it right up and it will not let go so yeah it's a really good secure way to to fasten the end of the bag and it holds the bag shut and it keeps it attached to the drowning cable Um, and that's that very simple as that I've never weighed and decided you know how much do I need Um, I would say in deeper water you could get by with a little less weight Uh, always always err on the side of more weight, um, I have had, I've only had one case where my bag was pulled up, and I, I never was able to determine whether the beaver did it, or, uh, yes, it, uh, okay, I, I remember, yeah, it was, it was, the, the bag was not pulled up, my cable was pulled, my cable was pulled around the other side of the bag in the bag, but the bag was not pulled up. So I, I haven't had them pull the bags, but, um, I'm always trying to, to just fill that thing up with as much weight as I can. And, uh, it, I, I think it, that's a, a good, you know, safe assumption. Just try to, try to have as heavy of a weight as you can get it in deep water. Um, and then, then the, uh, oh, the tossing. I always used to get so paranoid. I, I this came to mind. I thought I'd add it. I used to get so paranoid about um, making sure my cable wa- was tight, my drowning cable between the 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 traps end and the bag at the bottom of the pool in the water. And uh, I I started seeing these other guys uh, like Billy and Jeff uh, trapping and just tossing the bags out, and they don't spend much time worrying about it. And and uh, what they what they always told me was that beaver will find the end of the wire, don't you worry. And so if, if you do have, I, I don't like having a little jag in the cable just because it, it, it could get twisted or kinked, uh, but you can always get it to be tight, and so just toss it out there, and if it's a little loose, don't do what I did. I used to pull it back in and toss it again and pull it in and toss it again. Don't worry about that. Um, the, the, that slide lock is one way. It only goes one way. And even if there's some, some loose uh, slack in the line, Uh, that animal is going to get that slide lock all the way to the bag um, unless there's unless there's a kink or uh, or something obstructing it um, or or something caught in the in the lock or whatever but if if everything's functioning right which it is most of the time uh, a little bit of loose loose uh, drowning wire is probably okay okay so that's that guys um Thanks for those questions. Thanks for getting me thinking about, uh, beaver trapping again. I haven't thought about that in a while. I'm starting to, I don't know. I'm starting to get a little excited. I might have to, I might have to join Billy this spring and I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not going to have the vacation time off of work to be able to run a line this spring. Uh, you know, like a full line. I may set a few by the house like I usually do, but, uh, I may be able to, yeah, I may want to take a couple of days and run the line with Billy and, and just, uh, help them out and yeah, that gets me thinking about it. So thank you guys for that. And I hope that helped and answered some of your questions. Again, contact me. Uh, don't forget those uh, those ideas on time management. Don't forget to send me your catch pictures or any pictures from your trap line. I'd appreciate that. J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Loved having you guys here. Thank you again. Finally, uh, the podcast uh, is brought to you by The Trapping Today Store, Trapping Today Lures. So check out trappingtodaystore.com and pick up your trapping lures if you haven't already. Appreciate all the support and all the great feedback from people all over the United States and Canada that are using the lures. Um, It's really been exciting to to get lures out in more people's hands and out on trap lines. So take care, guys. Till next time. This was going to be a short episode. (laughs) Keep on talking, trapping. Keep on thinking, trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.